only source of true delight whom I unseen adore Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage you to take the blue Bible in front of you in the pew rack there. And uh, use that to turn to Romans chapter 6, 11 through 14 once again. That's found on page 943 if you're using that blue Bible. And uh, it also says you're kind of taking time to flip through pages. You uh, should have got handed one of these on your way in the door this morning, uh, door to the sanctuary. And uh, if you didn't, I think you might be able to flag down uh, an usher or somebody like that and get one of these... Uh, uh, Darwin wanted to uh, put down on paper some of the thoughts um, that I'm sure he'll explain in just a moment. But um, let's look now at this scripture that talks about presenting our, uh, ourselves, our bodies, to God as weapons for righteousness, as it were. Romans 6, 11 through 14, this is God's word. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for right unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we, we find it difficult. It is difficult. It's, it is a fight. It is wrestling. It is taking a stand on the strength of the Lord alone, as Paul says. Apart from you, we can do nothing, Lord Jesus. And yet, all power is ours in Christ. He is the one exalted above all authority in heaven and earth. And we have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenlies. And, O Lord, you have commanded us to resist the evil one, the devil, and he will flee from us. Lord, we pray, teach us by your Spirit to be humble and broken, to recognize always our helplessness in ourselves, and yet, Lord, always to have the greatest expectation of what you will do for us and in us, what you have done for us in Christ. This is hard for us, Lord. We don't often get this right, it seems. It is difficult for us to walk in peace, to walk in joy, to walk in the sense of your presence as we struggle mightily against sin, 
we're easily discouraged. We easily put the, the battle on the shelf, just walk away from it, disgusted and frustrated. Lord, we thank you that the work you've begun in us, you will continue to the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you that you can say to us through Paul, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own growth and development. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Lord, that is our only hope, but it is a sure hope. You have predestined that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. So you will bring that continually into our lives to that final day when we will be made just like him. Thank you that that is our destiny and nothing can stop it because it is your sovereign plan for your people. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get uh, right to it, okay? Uh, hopefully my prayer served as a kind of introduction to the issues that we face as believers. I asked these questions uh, at the top of the page uh, last week, and I gave two points to try to get the lay of the land. First of all, just to remember in Christ's sovereign rule over the world how... Uh, confused how tattered this world seems and how many times it doesn't appear that he is ruling over all things. And so in a similar way, there can be so much struggle and confusion and trauma spiritually in our lives. We can sometimes wonder, is Christ ruling in our lives? But just as sure as he's ruling this world, he is ruling each of your lives and is bringing you to that final day of conformity. And secondly, we talked about the, the battlefield of struggle and how easy it is to think because I struggle so hugely or I've struggled for so long, surely something's wrong. We tried to point out the fact that this is the mark of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. If you're not struggling, I would ask you, what in the world are you doing? Really? <laughs> If you're not striving against sin and striving more and more to be what you need to be as a husband, wife, father, child, brother, sister, church member, worker in this world, community uh, person, whatever it is, in every capacity, any aspect of your life, that is the very mark of our lives. Striving continually to grow in His grace. And yet to do so, as even our mission statement or our vision statement, nurturing a joy to love God and love people. That the root of it is, as we're going to point out again when we get to the motivation part of this, the root of it is our vision of the glory and beauty of Christ and what He's accomplished for us. Uh, trusting in Him, drawing from Him, being nurtured in Him and comforted in Him, sustained by Him. And that's the matrix out of which our love for others, our all of our obedience grows. So that's a strange kind of concoction of a life to have the root of joy and trust and rest. And yet in the midst, you're, you're waging war against sin. And it gets ugly and bad. And sometimes we feel crippled. And yet it's that 
rest in Him that forms the very basis for what we do. So that's why I'm camping out some on this issue, uh, this first phrase, verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you. I've talked to so many people and they just scratched their head and said, "Uh uh-huh, you know, That ain't, that ain't true. I don't understand what that means. Or, as I ask in these questions, say, for, for instance, number four, how do I connect the dots? How does my newness in Christ take hold of me? How does it work? It, it says that sin will have no dominion. How do I get from A to B? And so, as I say, under those questions, how does this power reveal itself in your life? How do we live out the new life? How does this new freedom come into reality in our lives. And so I've, I could have framed this positively like we must believe, for instance, but I've done it as kind of here are some of our issues, I think. Here are the, here are the problems that we face and, and why sometimes there's not that growth, okay? Uh, so we're, we're kind of finding the symptoms and the, uh, getting to the root, hopefully, of some of the things that prevent us from connecting the dots that permit, from, uh, I'm sorry, uh, keep us from growing in grace and sin having less and less dominion over us. Number one, we don't believe, okay? We don't believe. That may seem like a truism uh, because all of obedience has as its root faith. There, there can never be a step of obedience apart from faith. It's interesting in Matthew Four different times Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. It's almost that he's remarked, he's surprised by it, amazed by it. And he keeps pointing it out that that's the tendency that we have, little faith. He talks about it when he's talking about the grass of the field. If he clothes the grass of the field, how will he not clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Or when the disciples, that's in chapter 6 of Matthew, in chapter 8, when they're in the midst of the storm and they're wailing and crying and falling all over themselves in fear, and they wake him up and he says, you of little faith. What? It's almost like Jesus is saying, what? You know, and they're like, you know, they're pointing at the storm and he's saying, and what? Oh, you of little faith. Or in chapter uh, 14, Peter famous walking on the water, and you know he begins sinking because he's looking at the storm around him, takes his eyes off. Oh, you of little faith. And then later when they're talking about not having bread, they just got to shore and realized they didn't have any bread. And they thought that Jesus, because he mentioned the leaven of the Pharisees, was concerned about that they didn't have any bread. And Jesus says, I've fed 5,000 people and I've fed 4,000 people. I wasn't talking about a lack of bread, oh, you of little faith. And, of course, we would tend to jump on the bag and wagon and say, yeah, you little faith people, you know, just pointing our finger. And all of us have to realize that each of us in our own way, uh, Jesus would speak into our lives in many areas and say, oh, you of little faith. When they couldn't cast out a demon in Matthew 17, and you have that passage right there, and they said, why couldn't we do it? He says, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the, a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now notice when he says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, 
It's not giant faith. It's just sincere, true faith, really resting in Him that He's able to do something and will do it. He said, really, the sky is the limit. it, It gives you the sense of you won't believe what can happen in your life. You won't believe what can happen in the ministry of the church, in the fellowship of the church, in the worship of the church, and in your own personal life. All the applications for that idea. It's not, of course, literally, we're going to take a mountain somewhere and move it. The image, though, the image of amazing things to be done in our lives spiritually because of believing in God's power and grace. And, of course, unbelief was the great sin of Israel. It was because of unbelief in particular that they were judged in the wilderness. It was because of unbelief that they wouldn't go in the land. And at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, after the whole generation had died, Moses is rehearsing what happened that day as they were on the outskirt of Canaan, about to go in or hoping to go in. They had the call and the command to go in. And Moses recounts how we sent in the spies and they came out and, and showed us the riches of the land, the fruit of the land. And then I pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Get it? The Lord hated us. You ever have a little self-pity? Yeah, well, the Lord just hates me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't know what's going on down here. The Lord hates me. That's why I'm in this situation. That's why nothing ever works out for me. They were definitely thinking that. Because the Lord hated us? Can you imagine what that sounds like in the Lord's grace and mercy upon them? The Lord hated us. He did this. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying as... The, you know, the 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan, 10 were bad and 2? Kids, you remember that song, right? Um, well, the 10, evil, said that there's no way we can go in. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of Anakim there, the giants. As Moses continues to recant, Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents by fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered and swore, not one of these men will see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. Now that event is recounted as you have it there in Psalm 78. Notice what it says in verse 22. They did not believe in God and did not trust His saving power. Or another recounting of it in Psalm 106 that's on your sheet. It says, They despise the present land having no faith in His promise. 
And brothers and sisters, that's what I'm militating against in you and me. No faith in His promise that He is about delivering you from sin. That Christ has accomplished salvation in His death and resurrection. You are joined to His resurrection life and you are translated from that domain in which you live into a new domain belonging to Christ. We must believe in the great work of His salvation. In Hebrews 3, after recounting the same thing again, in Psalm 95, where this same event is before the psalmist, the writer of Hebrews recounts the event, and then he says, after talking about their unbelief, Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, this is not to put you under more guilt. Okay, now my unbelief is going to drive me under the, uh, under the table. But to invite you to the rest and joy and comfort of faith. In unbelief, you and I fail to enter into His blessing. We refuse His goodness. He promised Israel that he would deliver them against the Canaanites and he proved it 40 years later when they did go in the land and he promises you that you were dead to sin and alive to God, that sin and death no longer lord over Christ, sin and death will not be lord over you. And that's why in Ephesians 4 here, he'll say, put off your old self that belongs to your former manner of life. And then he says in verse 24, put on the new self that's been created after the likeness of God. And this to me sounds so much like leave the wilderness and enter the land which I've prepared. Believe in me. Entrust yourself to me. Believe in what I will do for you. And so by faith, by faith we rest in him. It must be by faith. It's at the heart of all of our growth is faith. And there are two elements to faith that I think are critical. Helplessness and expectancy. You've heard me say this before, but I just want to underscore it again. I think these are the two ways that we're not believing. Number one, we don't really believe that we're helpless. If you know that you have to have a certain medical routine whether it's a heart disease that you have, perhaps it's diabetes, perhaps it's something else, and you know you cannot live without that medicine. And and you're not walking around saying, I could take care of it. You know that your life will be imperiled. But we don't generally have that sense of helplessness as believers. Of course, that's that's unbelief in in itself. We won't have trust in Him if we have confidence apart from Him. And I think this is very difficult for us to remain truly dependent. Isn't it interesting that our Lord, who was perfect, of course, as a man, was perfectly dependent because He was a man. That's part of His perfection. He perfectly depended on His Father. He was not independent, and He was Jesus, you know. If anybody could have said, look, I got it together here, you know, certainly Christ. But it says in Mark 1, for instance, 
Rising very early in the morning, verse 35, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Dependent upon, his, upon God, he prayed. You see, the Lord's Prayer teaches us this. For instance, here's a, a, a prayer that we really hardly ever pray because who needs it? Give us this day our daily bread. I know we've prayed it in the Lord's Prayer. But how many of you any day this week said, Oh Lord, oh Lord, provide for me today so that I may eat and live. <laughs> Some maybe. Why not? What do we think? We, he, he commands us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We rarely enter that because we don't think we need it. Closer to the immediate subject, lead us not into temptation. That's a prayer Jesus says should be constantly before God. Oh, Lord, I'm so weak. I'm so helpless. I'll give in to anything, anytime. I have no match for the enemy. In myself dwells no good thing. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Oh, Lord, don't even let me be tempted today. Isn't that what, it's pray, what, what the prayer is? But how far from that are we? You know, we're just walking along like we can handle anything, anytime. we got it together. Helplessness is so critical. And then deliver us from the evil one. It's the same word as at the end of, Psalm, uh, of uh, chapter 7 when he says, Thanks be to God. Uh, in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Jesus says, every time you pray, pray some form of this, Oh, Lord, rescue me from evil. Rescue me from the evil one, from sin. Rescue me, Lord. Helplessness. And I want to encourage you, if you feel helpless, if you feel at the end of your rope spiritually, if you feel like you're going nowhere and you don't know what to do about it or, or how to do anything about it, I want to tell you that's vital to your growth. <laughs> you may think, gosh, things are really spinning out of control. Maybe the very thing is happening that needs to happen for you. That you're resting in Christ alone, fully aware in a new way. I didn't, and, and how many times does this happen? I didn't realize that I would have to struggle against this. I didn't realize that it would still crop up in my life. What's wrong with me? I thought I had this under control, and look what I did. It's okay in the sense that if it pushes you to greater helplessness and dependence and drawing upon, nobody grows in grace that's not helpless in themselves. Because there's no way you can trust Christ if you're confident in yourself. No way. It's not an extra. It's not something that people coming out of a truly degraded life should feel. And well, It's every one of us. Every one of us. How do you think the lame man felt? Being carried by his four friends and let down in a roof. Maybe he felt helpless. The blind man, you think he felt helpless? The centurion whose servant was sick and he couldn't do anything about it, his servant's dying. He comes and asks Christ to heal him. And I want to remind you what we said last week, or maybe it was the week before, about this 
passage where it says presenting yourself to righteousness. Remember, righteousness is a quality of God. It's God's active power to change. And so this isn't about your... uh, the strength and vigor of your commitment, you know, like if you if you can just make that commitment and give yourself to no, it's helplessly giving yourself up to the all powerful work of God in your life. Lord, rescue me, change me, I entrust myself to your saving, powerful work that you've accomplished in Christ, that it will be fulfilled in my life with this particular sin. Oh Lord, work. So, it must be helpless. And sometimes the problem is we can't even believe to start with, right? We just, we feel like, I, I, can't, even, I can't even believe. And thankfully, faith is His gift. We, we saw that in, in our little hymn uh, that we, I say little hymn. That's like my, my wife says so many times about little people, but they might not be little. Um, I love that, and I, I do it too. Um, but this this hymn uh, that speaks of the the uh, faith that he gives us in the refrain, faith he gives us to believe, hearing ears and seeing eyes. Okay, faith he gives us to believe, hearing ears and seeing eyes. So we can helplessly give ourselves up to him and say, Lord. I cannot believe. Will you give me that faith? And how will he not give us good things? Matthew 7. How will he not give you good things? And this is the best of things, is to pray for faith and expect that he will give more and more to our hearts. But that brings us to the second part of that belief. There must be helpless faith, but sometimes we have a lot of helplessness. We feel really helpless, but we're not expectant. We don't believe in what he's doing for us. And I'd like for you to turn on your sheets uh, to the very back, page 6. And in two chapters, Matthew in the uh, section chapter 5 through 9, he has three chapters devoted to Christ's teaching and then two chapters devoted to his healing, primarily his healing, his work. And it's framed with a statement to begin with and a statement at the end that are identical, that he went around teaching and healing. So here's that healing section. But I want you to notice the emphasis on how they rested or, or believed in his ability. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, We believe that he's willing. Of course, he's given his son for us. But the emphasis is on his power. And I want to encourage you in that. Or the same thing with the centurion later here. Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he knew what it was to have authority. He'd say to somebody, go there, and they went there. He'd say to a hundred men, you're going to run for five miles and not stop till I tell you. And they would do it. And he said... You have that same authority. You have that same power. You can just say the word and disease will leave. And that's that's what we need to believe about, believe God. Lord, you can speak into my life. Lord, you can lay hold of me and and give me progress in this this sin of mine. You can remove it, O Lord. 
Look at the, the fourth one, Matthew 9, 20. The woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. And notice in verse 21, she said, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. There's faith. And Jesus said, Your faith has healed you. And later, when the two blind men called out, Have mercy on us, son of David. He asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? You see, the focus is on his power, his ability to do it. And so that's why it's so important for you and I to praise his name, to enter into worship, to constantly exalt him for his greatness and power in this world. That's why uh, phrases like, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If you pray that, Lord, remove this jealousy that I have, I pray to you. You're the Lord and maker of heaven and earth. Oh, Lord, grip me. See, exalting his power, believing in his power, proclaiming in his greatness, even as you pray to him. That's an expectant faith. Expecting he will act. He is able to act. And I want to remind you that as this passage even talks about not letting sin reign and not presenting your members to sin, but presenting your members to righteousness. If you don't trust God and his wisdom and goodness and power, then you will trust something else. You will trust something, something to give you life. And whatever it is, you will be trusting yourself as well. Because you're trusting in your own ability to decide. You're trusting in your word over God's word. Your wisdom over God's wisdom. And of course, whatever your alternative is, there are only two choices right here. Give yourself up to the righteous working of God or give yourself up to sin. Unbelief means that you entrust yourself to sin. I entrust myself to sin. Because I'm trusting in something instead of more than God. Putting myself in the hands of the enemy. And that is not a safe place. Giving myself into bondage instead of into God's freedom. Now, it may seem as a surprise that I would uh, say this second thing right on the heels of that. We don't try. (laughs) Often... We are tentative in our obedience. We think dependence is counter to all-out effort and careful discipline. It seems to be either depend and wait, or it seems don't depend and get busy, get to work. But... Our obedience is a gift of God's grace and power, but it doesn't bypass our decisions, our choices, our actions. Because you are no longer helpless, because you're in a new world of the new creation, you and I enter into the fray. And by God's grace, acts of of discipline and careful obedience, seriously dealing with the areas of your life, are manifestations of His new life for you. They're not against His new life. They're manifestations of His new life. And we don't have to hold back and think, well, I might get in the way of God. 
No, when Israel truly believed God, they didn't hang back out of the land of Canaan. They rushed into the land of Canaan. They employed all of their resources and they fought as hard as they could. And by God's grace, they won the day. And so I want to urge us all, and I say this to myself as well, To say Psalm 139, the the end of that, search me and know me and see if there be any hidden way and lead me in the way, uh, the the ways of uh, everlasting. We need to isolate and concentrate on different areas of our life, ways that we want to grow in our character, ways and areas we know the Lord wants us to change, things to stop doing or thinking or feelings, things we want to develop in our life. Have we fasted over these things? Have we memorized and meditated Scripture as we've concentrated on these things? Have we confessed our sin to someone else? Have we choked it off by cultivating greater desire for the things of God? See these things as your adventure. See these things as walking in your new freedom, your release, your expansion, your unfolding as God's workmanship. Douglas Moose says, we must stop engaging in those sins that have too often become so habitual, we cannot imagine not doing them. They seem to be a part of us. We seem hardwired towards certain sins and we tend to think, that's just the way I am. And they can be such a part of our lives that your husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister or close friend, sometimes even casual acquaintance, can tell you what they are because they're just a part of you. But this phrase, we can't imagine not doing it, reminds me of Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You You can't imagine not doing it. And he says, here's the power of God, able to do immeasurably more. Not just a little more than you can imagine. Immeasurably more according to the power that works within us. So here's the thought. Ultimately, it is sin that is helpless, not me in Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is sin that is helpless, not you in Christ. And I begin to participate now in the final reality in which sin will be completely removed from God's creation. And that final reality is now taking root in my life and will progressively show itself. That's the joy of this life. I love what John Calvin wrote so many years ago. The apostle is desirous of comforting us and preventing us from growing wearied in striving to do what is right because we still feel many imperfections in ourselves. The great John Calvin says we need this encouragement because we feel many imperfections in ourselves. So believe him Trust Him and get after it in in your labor uh, in these areas. And I've given you on pages 3 through uh, 6, mainly in the Psalms, but passage after passage after passage of trust in God. And I would want you to pray and use these things in light of your struggle to grow in the character of Christ, in light of your struggle to remove sin from your life. 
Bring those two things, connect the dots in these prayers of faith and trust and expectation of what God will do. Connect that to your growth in Christ. And may God bless you as you believe Him and walk in new life. We'll talk some about motivation next week. Let's pray. Oh Lord, enable us helplessly, expectantly to believe you, Lord. Not to walk in unbelief, but to believe that our God is calling us into a new land, calling us into a new creation. He has already brought us into that new creation. We now have a new self. We have, we're part of a new domain, a new Lord. Oh Lord, may we live out that new life, put on that new self by your sovereign grace. Help us, Lord, and thank you that you will do great things immeasurably beyond all that we ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my life. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?